All right, good morning. Thank you for being here today. That, that intro is epic, isn't it? I always think cinematic, that's the word I think of. Like, yeah, powerful. Anyway, I'm so glad you've joined us today. Um, whether you've been here since the very beginning of our church or whether today's your first time coming to a service, we're really glad that you're here today. Uh, we are in the middle of a teaching through the book of Romans, and so we are actually exactly halfway. All right. I know when we started this and I said that it was going to be a 30-week series, some of you were a little concerned. You were concerned about our ability to keep it going for 30 weeks and keep momentum, and maybe that's too long, but I figure we got to teach something every week, so it might as well be 30 weeks in the book of Romans, and this is week 15. All right, so we are halfway. You did it. Good job. And if, uh, if, you, if you haven't been with us, all that is online. You can catch up and hear it. Uh, Romans uh, is a uh, foundational book for us as Christians. Paul explains so many things that we need to know and so many things that are transformative in our life. And there is something special about going through Romans the way that we have, a little bit at a time, and understanding context as we go. It sheds a lot of light on what sometimes are difficult or confusing passages in Romans, if you just take them up, even just, even you took a chapter up out of Romans, it would be a little difficult to understand without the context of the entire thing and the process and how Paul is moving through this book. And we're going to run into a couple of those today. But the, the verses that, um, that we're going to be doing today, which is basically the second half of Romans chapter eight, it's a lot to bite off. I'm going to go ahead and tell you that right now. And so I am trusting that you are doing the same thing that I'm doing as we're going through this service and understanding that what we hear for 30 minutes or 40 minutes or 50 minutes or, okay, uh, that, that, that that is not enough. That is not enough time to fully absorb what God is saying to us through this book. And so take time. And, and the passages that we're talking about on the weekend, obviously we have the study guide that you can do um, on your own, or we'll have groups starting and groups will be doing the study guide. But be taking time on your own as we're going through the series to spend time in Romans, in the passage that we're in, soaking it up and asking God what he wants you to do with it and what it means for you and your perspective on the world. And if you do that, my, I can promise you that he is going to speak to you and he is going to lead you and he's going to move you in a way that is just not going to happen if your only interaction with it is for a few minutes here on the, in the, on the weekend. And so I want to tell you that for me personally, and Justin and I have been talking a lot about this the last few days, but the last, you know, however many months it's been that we've been in Romans have been transformative for me personally. God has, has, he has taught me so much and changed me so much and molded me so much. And it's because I'm spending, of course, I'm going to share with you on the weekend, but I'm spending hours and hours and hours in the word studying, trying to understand what this word means and what that word means and why he said it this way and why he did this and understanding all of these things. And it has had a absolutely transformative effect on me personally. And I don't look at my role as a pastor being up here and coming in every Sunday and and bestowing upon you the wisdom and knowledge that I have as a pastor. I look at my role. I spend all week learning and growing and God is teaching me and changing me and showing me things about the scripture. And then I come in here and I get to share that with you. And then you take that and you go and you allow God to transform you and you dig in and you dive in and you ask whether I'm right <laughs> and check and check me out. See if you agree with the interpretation that I came to and all that kind of stuff so that together it, it, 
it all works together, okay? We all work together, and we're learning and growing at the same time. It's really, really cool. And, and what we've been doing as understanding the good news as is displayed for us in Romans and all of the good and all the struggle and that goes along with that, and it has really sunk in. Romans has sunk in more deeply in my heart over the last 15 weeks than it ever has before. To the point where when we get to what we're getting to today, which I think are some of the most encouraging verses in the entire Bible, that when I was sitting down to study and work through it this week, there was not a single time I sat down and read the scripture where I had a dry eye by the time I was said and done. And I want you to know as a follower of Jesus that the Bible isn't just something to read and check off of a list, and it's not just something that you memorize so that you know it in your head. It is something that is to sink into the depths of our very soul and transform us from the inside out into the image of Jesus. And so I hope, I hope that as you're studying and as you're spending time in the Word that it's doing that in you because that kind of depth is there. And we as Christians need it. We need it because we live in the power of the Spirit as children of God, but in a sinful, fallen world. And there are constantly pressures and temptations and struggles and trials and things that are coming. And the pressure around us is so great that if we don't have the hope of Christ, it will crush us. We as Christians know that we are children of God because we put our faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. Okay. He, he gave his life on the cross in our place. He rose again on the third day. We put our faith in him for salvation, and we know he, we are his children. And we're looking forward to the day when Jesus is going to return, and he is going to establish his kingdom here, and he is going to set all things right. That day is coming, but it's not here yet. And in the meantime, we need to understand how to endure the world and how to move through the world and how to allow that to draw us closer and closer to God and closer and closer to the image of Jesus instead of pushing us away. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. Our eyes have to be on what's coming, on the glory that's coming, the confidence that we have in what's ahead. And just to get into our scripture for this week, I want to tag on to the last verse that we read last week, which was Romans chapter 8 verse 18, and then we'll move on from there. But last week we finished with this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed to us. And that's, that's Paul saying, hey, all the things we're going through right now, the suffering that sin has caused in the world, it doesn't even belong on the same list as what's coming. It, it's not even in the same category as the goodness of what is waiting for us. And so we need, our eyes need to be up and ahead and on that instead of on this, right? We need to be looking forward and looking ahead to the glory that's coming. Now, how do we do that? All right, well, let's keep going. So this whole thing, by the way, and this is very important to understanding it clearly, all of this is to be understood in the context of suffering. And I'm going to use that word a lot, even though I tried. I went to the thesaurus, and I looked for other words that I could use other than just suffering because I felt like I was saying that word a lot, and at some point it's just going to lose its meaning. And there just aren't very many words that get the same feeling across, so just be aware, okay? If you want to keep a tally, you can keep a tally. But I'm going to be saying, you can tell me how many times I said it later, but I'm going to say suffering a lot today. All right, not to be a downer, but this is what we need to understand about the world. All right, Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 19. Keep reading. For the earnest expectation of the creation 
eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Now, so Paul is beginning to draw this out, and he's saying everything. When he says all creation, it literally means everything. It means the birds, the trees, the plants, the stars, the moon, the, the sky, the atmosphere, the everything, all of creation, humanity, everything, all of creation earnestly is expecting and waiting for the revealing of the sons of God, which is Jesus' kingdom on earth, and when uh, all things are, uh, the process begins of all things being made right. And he says everything is looking forward to that. Verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Paul wants us to understand, wants the Romans to understand that this pressure, that this tension, that this dissonance that exists in the world, this, this, this frustration that exists in the world is on everything, everything, that the whole creation feels the weight of sin and the effect of sin. Down to, down to the very, the, 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 the atoms and the molecules of the world feel this pressure and are waiting for the day when finally the birth is going to happen, when things are going to be restored and made right. He, he, uh, he, uh, the analogy he gives is contractions, right? Labor contractions, that we're all feeling this. Okay? And I think that's very important that we understand that everything is feeling this. I don't know if you're anything like me, but. I look at the world and I try to watch the news as little as I possibly can, but you can't escape it. And I see what's happening in the world and I see what's happening with people and I see what's happening with societies and I look at it and I think, how long can this go on? Because it's not getting better. It's not getting better. It's just continuing to get worse. And it's not even just people, it's the whole creation. It's even, even physically, you can see the effects of human, humanity's sin on the, on the, you know, the entire world. And the way that we've taken this beautiful creation that God has used, has given us, that he wants us to use and manage and steward well, and we, we're trashing it. And it's like, how long can we keep going like this? And it's like birth. It's, it's like contractions. It's like we're waiting for it, and all of creation is waiting for the moment where it will be finally relieved. And that day is coming, but it's not here yet. So what do we do? Let's keep reading verse 23. Not only that, not only all of creation groaning under the birth pangs, 23. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. What's he saying? He's saying our hope is that this is going to be relieved. Our hope is that this is going to be made right. But it's hope because it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> we are still under this weight. And what is, look, look, what he says, not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan too. That that, that weight, that, that frustration, that tension is not relieved in us just because we have the Spirit. 
This is a really important thing for us to understand. That we have the Holy Spirit and he is leading us and he is guiding us into righteousness and holiness. But that does not for a second mean that our life is going to become easy. We also continue to have to suffer under the weight of sin in this world. And God's promise is not that he will fully deliver us from that right now. And the reason I think this is so important is because we look at God and the average person's understanding of God is that God exists to make me happy. And as silly as that sounds when I say it that way, that's actually how people think about God. And it shows, that shows because when we experience suffering or pain or challenge or misery or whatever it may be, the first thing we do is ask God to fix it, to change it. And if he doesn't change it, then we blame him. Or we, or we go to the extent to say, well, if I'm suffering and I'm a good person, then maybe God isn't real at all. Why would I say that? I would say that because I expect that God's job is to make me happy. But that is, that is not what God has promised. He's not promised that if we put our faith in him, if we're faithful to him, that we're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. That our life's going to be a cakewalk, that it's going to be a lot of fun. That we're never going to endure stress or tension or, or controversy or conflict. He doesn't promise those things to us. So as soon as we begin expecting him to, now we set God up to look like a liar when he's not. And set ourselves up to be disappointed in him when we shouldn't be. Because his promise never was. That even though we have the spirit, we still sit under this weight and we still groan. We still look and see the pain in the world. We see the pain and the havoc that is wreaked in our own life and the people we love's lives. And we sit under that weight. So what do we do? Verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. When you feel crushed under the weight, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. What do we do when we feel like we're under the weight of sin, when we feel like it's crushing us, when we feel like, like and we don't even know what to say. We don't even know what to pray. We don't even know what the right thing is to pray. I'm feeling crushed right now, and I don't even know what to pray for myself. I'm looking at this person that I love, and they're being crushed under the weight of sin. I don't even know how to pray for them. I don't even know what to say. You're looking at the world, and you're seeing the vastness of the depravity and, and greed and evil and, and, your, and poverty and sickness, and, and you're like, I don't even know what to pray for. The Spirit in those moments is our comforter and our spokesman. 
And even when we don't know what to pray in our groanings, the very groanings of our soul, the, the Spirit says makes intercession for us. And the word there for intercession means to light upon a person or to shine a light upon a person. That when we don't even know what to pray and when we're feeling crushed by it, we can just groan and the Spirit shines a light on us to the Father and says, you know, you see him, you see her. You know what he's thinking. You know what she's feeling. You know what they need. And Lord, give them what they need in your will. In your will. And so we can trust that even in those moments where we don't know what to pray for, that the Spirit is with us. God does not promise to deliver us from our pain and suffering right now, but he promises to be with us in our pain and suffering. Connecting us with him in love. It's in the moments where we feel weakest, where he is strongest. It's in the moments where we feel the most, the most small that we experience how big he is and how loving he is and how kind he is and the fact that he is with us, walking with us through it. And not only walking with us through it, but using it. Using it. In the next verse, it's one of the most famous verses in the entire Bible. It gets used a lot. You see it a lot, probably on things at Hobby Lobby. Yeah, go over there. You bet you can find some old palette art, you know, with this verse on it. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. I think we've been in Romans long enough and we understand the context of what we're reading enough to know that this verse does not mean everything's going to work out, which is how it often gets used. But we know better than that at this point, right? This is, this is not Paul saying, hey, do, I know it's tough. I know things are suffering, but don't worry. There's light at the end of the tunnel and, and give it a week, give it a month. God's going to work it all out and take care of it for you. That's not what he's saying. Uh, I can tell you for a fact that Paul had none of that in his... No, none of that light at the end of his tunnel. Paul was going to face a lot of suffering. He was going to face persecution. He was going to face imprisonment. He was going to face beatings and shipwrecks and you name it. And, and so Paul, God wasn't going to work everything out in his life. It's a misunderstanding of God. It's a misunderstanding of ourselves. What is, this, what is he saying? He's saying all things, all creation, you, me, all creation, it's all working. It's all working together. It's all, and the, the word here means to, to uh, it's like the word synergy, which is a business buzzword, but it's, it's everything is coming together. Everything is growing together. Everything is moving together towards good. Towards good. For those who love God and are called according to his purpose, means all of this is moving forward toward good, toward God's glory, toward the revealing of Jesus' kingdom on earth. It's all moving towards that. And so even in the suffering, even in the hard time, even when we feel victimized or, or scared or whatever it may be, God is taking all of that and he is using it to do something in you. It's not that he's going to work it out or change it. He's going to use all of it to do something in you that is moving you toward the good that's coming. 
that in the hard things, in the suffering, he is in the process of conforming us to the image of Jesus. And we are never moved more or changed more or affected more than when things are bad. And so those are the hard times are often the most powerful times that God uses in us. And so oddly, we can thank him for them. But we have a choice to make and whether when the, when the pressure comes, when the, when the struggle comes, when the trial comes, on whether we're going to blame God for it because we think he's the genie in the bottle and he's not giving us our wishes, or whether we're going to embrace it and say, God, this is so hard. This is the hardest thing I've ever been through in my life. What do you want to do in me? How do you want to use this in me? That's something totally, totally different. As he goes on, he says, For those for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. This is what he's doing in us. And ultimately, it will be completed one day. But right now, we are in process of becoming more and more like Jesus. So that, uh, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Now, I have to say, these are some of the most hotly contested verses in the entire Bible. Okay, And I'll tell you why. It's because there's a couple different readings here. You could read this a couple of different ways based on the way that it's worded and the way we translate it in English, you could read this to say that um, some read it and uh, they see uh, those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And so this brings up the issue of predestination. And there's some people that read these verses and say, see, God has chosen who will be saved, that God chooses who will be saved. And if God chooses you to be saved, you will be saved. But it's not a choice of ours. Another group of people say that uh, it is our choice, that we have free will. And what's being said here is that God foreknows, that he already knows who will be saved. And if he knows you will be saved, he's predestined you to be conformed to the image of his son. That that will be completed in you. And I, just so you know, believe the second one. I believe that it is our free will to accept God as our Savior and that he knows that we will And because he knows that we will, he has predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. And if he's predestined us for that, then he's uh, called us, he has justified us, and he has glorified us, even though that hasn't happened yet. Paul's speaking as if it already has, right? All right, that's a sure thing. All right, so there's a big debate on that. But that's all I'm going to say about that debate. And, And here's why. Because that's not what Paul is saying. That is not why Paul put this here. He didn't didn't put this here so we could have a debate over whether God chooses us or we choose him. That's not why it's here. And I think Paul would be very disappointed in the fact that we've gotten so, that, that theologians and everybody has gotten so distracted by that debate and that argument that you missed the actual point of what he's saying. What he's saying is that if you're a child of God, however, whether he chose you or we chose him, set that aside. If you're a child of God, then you are predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And he called you and he justified you and he glorified you and you will be conformed to the image of Jesus. No matter what happens to you here, no matter what you go through, 
No matter what difficulty comes your way, no matter what stress or struggle or trial or persecution or anything, nobody can take that away from you. You will be conformed to the image of Jesus. And now we have a choice in this life right now how much of that we're going to do here, how much of that we're going to pursue here. But if you're going to go through suffering, even with the Spirit, as I'm going to go through suffering, even with the Spirit, then we need a rock-solid foundation to stand on. And that's what Paul is doing. And he's looking, he's writing, remember, specifically to the Christians who are in Rome. And they're, they're spread around in different house churches at this point. But eventually he knows that they are going to face the greatest persecution of Christians that the world has ever seen. He knows that when the emperor Nero takes charge, when, when the Roman government, I know it eventually becomes the Holy Roman Empire and all of that, but until that happens, Christians are going to be dragged out into the streets. Christians are going to be executed publicly. Christians are going to be hunted down like animals. And Paul knows that they need something to hold on to. And that what they have to hold on to is that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. But that light is when Christ returns and they are glorified and conformed to the image of Jesus. And I dare say none of us, at least not right now, are going to face the kind of persecution that they faced. Our suffering is different. But we need the same rock-solid foundation that they had. And so he says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's his point. That's why he says this. If God is for us, who can be against us? How are we supposed to bear suffering if we aren't confident God will do what he promised? God will do what he promised. He goes on. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for slaughter. The quote that Paul chooses, that um, for your sake we are killed all day long, we're counted as sheep for slaughter. It's Psalm 44. All right, I want to encourage you to dig further into Psalm 44 this week. But it's an interesting choice. And as a former Pharisee, Paul knew very well what Psalm 44 was about as a whole. Why would he pull this out? In Psalm 44, is, is basically one large question. And it wasn't, it's, I know a lot of Psalms were written by David. This one wasn't written by David. But the writer of this starts off in Psalm 44 and says, I've heard the stories. We've heard the stories of all the things that you did. You, know, you parted waters and, and you did all these miracles and how the Israelites won great battles and all these incredible things. But right now we're suffering. 
Right now, the other nations are coming in and taking us over, and, and we're, we're losing, and we're being mocked, and we're being shamed, and all of these things are going wrong, and yet we have remained faithful to you. And so the, the Psalm 44 is, is, a, is, a, is a cry, is a, is, is a question, or a, a lament, or whatever you want to call it. It's, it's saying, God, we haven't done anything wrong We're faithful to you, and yet we're still suffering. Why? And Paul chooses to pull a verse out of that psalm to answer the question, why? Because he is transforming us and solidifying us to the love of Christ, even in our suffering. He said, let's see, let me go back and get it. Sorry. That's verse 32. He who did not, I'm going back a little bit, but he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. Every time I hear someone say or teach or imply that if you're faithful to God, then he's going to fix everything. Or if you're faithful to God, he'll give you wealth. Or if if you're faithful to God, he will give you physical health. Or if you're faithful to God, he will whatever... And if you're not having those things, maybe you're not faithful enough, all that stuff. Every time I hear that, it just, it doesn't connect. It doesn't connect with Jesus and his life. It doesn't connect with Paul and his life. If the result of faithfulness is comfort and ease, then Jesus must not have been very faithful. If the result of faithfulness is comfort and ease, then Paul must not have been very faithful. No, even when we are faithful, we still endure suffering. And God often uses that in the greatest way. It's when he does his best work. It's when when he is strongest, when we are weakest. And he pushes through that and pulls us through that. And we come out of it, if we come out of it, stronger than we went in. More like Jesus than we went in. But, But we have to make a decision when those things come, which way we're going. Whether we're going to complain and ask God why he's doing this to us and blame him and consistently ask him to fix it and change it and then get mad at him when he doesn't. Or whether we're going to look at every situation in our life and say, God, how are you using this? Change me, conform me, transform me from the inside out. Teach me what it's like to suffer like Jesus suffered. That's why Paul says that that if we... Share in the sufferings of Christ. There is reward for that. There's a, we are co-heirs with him. He said that earlier in Romans chapter 8. And then verse 37. And listen, hey, I would love, I would love nothing more than to get up here and tell you it's all going to work out. <laughs> that would be so much easier. <laughs> <laughs> that would be fantastic if I could get up here and say, hey, just be more faithful to God and the struggle that you're having is going to go away. It's going to fix itself. Don't worry. You just got to turn to him and everything's going to be all right. I would love that if it were true. I mean, that's a great way to get a lot of people to show up for one thing. You know, <laughs> like, doesn't everybody want to be empowered? Don't you? I mean, don't we love that? Like, you're, you're going to overcome. You're going to have victory. You're going to whatever. And, and in my head, that's like, yeah, you're right. I'm going to get the job or I'm going to I'm going to get rid of the debt or the, the you know, whatever. Or or that stress isn't going to come or I'm going to get the client in whatever. Like, those are things that would be so nice to get up here and say. 
But the problem is it's not true. And it's like, it's like the, those advertisements on Instagram for the product, you know? And they do the whole, they do the whole advertisement. You're like, that's the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I can't even believe how many different uses there are for that. I never even thought about it. And then you buy the thing. It gets to your house. And it breaks instantly. <laughs> or it goes in a drawer. It just it doesn't work. It's not what's promised. And there's so many people out there that are making promises on God's behalf that he didn't himself make. That's a major problem. Because it sets people up to be disappointed in God when they shouldn't be disappointed in God. To have expectations of him that they shouldn't have of him. And in some cases to reject God for no good reason. Because he hasn't done something he never promised to do anyway. And so it matters that we get this right. It matters that we understand that God's promise is to be with us and to transform us in the middle of a broken and fallen world. And that ultimately the promise he's made us is that he will fully transform us in his kingdom. And we can look forward to that in the meantime. And he says, verse 37, yet in all these things, so tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, and sword, in all of these things, not after, not over, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You are a conqueror and you do have victory, but that does not mean being a conqueror or victorious the way the rest of the world sees it. It means being victorious and conquering the way that God sees it and being transformed from the inside out into the image of Jesus. Praise God. Four, I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hey, that is as good as it gets right there. There is nothing. If you are a child of God, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, there is nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. So don't let it. Don't let it, because that's what we do, okay? But you don't have to let it, so don't let it. In the hardest times in your life, cling as closely to God as you ever have in your life. Amen. Ask him how he wants to transform you, how he wants to use it. When you see a brother or sister in Christ who is going through distress or trouble or tribulation or stress, point them to this. Don't look at them. Don't quote Romans 8.28 to them and tell them it's all going to be okay. That's not helpful. <laughs> tell them that God is with them, that you are with them, and that he wants to use it to transform them and transform you, and you are there with them through that process. Amen. Give them confidence in the glory that's coming as they wait, as we wait patiently, eagerly for it, so that together... And not just ourselves, but together as a group, we are consistently being refined. Refined and molded and transformed and changed even under the weight of this world.
as we look forward to the glory of Jesus that's coming. And that our life is firmly established on the foundation of the love of Christ in our life. And with that, we can get through absolutely anything. All right, let's go to him in prayer together. Father, we are so thankful for you. You are good and you are loving. Forgive us for ever questioning that. Forgive us for questioning that because we had expectations of you to do things for us or, or we thought you were going to work everything out in our life or fix everything. We know that's not your plan. Your plan is to work in us. Your plan is to work through us. And so we thank you, God, for your love and how you transform us, the presence of the Spirit comforting us, interceding for us, allowing you to see our heart and desire in accordance with your will, to know that we want your will, not our will, to be done. So we want our prayers and we want our life to all be aimed there. Jesus, you know how difficult this world is. You were here. You walked in our shoes. You saw suffering. You saw pain. In some cases, you relieved people of it, and in others, you didn't. We trust your will. You were betrayed. We know what that feels like. You saw power, we do too. You saw greed, we do too. You saw oppression, and we do too. And yet you walked faithfully. You walked faithfully and suffered the consequences with grace You endured the suffering of the cross on our behalf because you knew what it would produce. And you experienced the victory of the grave walking out. And so we thank you for your example, Jesus, to know that you understand And our commitment, too, is to walk faithfully and to endure the difficulty and endure the pain as we do, knowing that it's producing something. It's producing in us your character, your image. It's producing in us resolve and dependence and trust. knowing that we too have victory over the grave in your name and that the day is coming when your work in us will be complete and we will be transformed. And so I ask God for every single person here as believers. You help us to hold tightly to your love no matter what we face. And we want you to know, God, that we trust you with our whole heart. God, move in our hearts. 
pray that someone would accept you as their Savior today for the first time and put their faith in you for salvation. Jesus. That all of us that have put our faith in you for salvation together, whether today or years ago, would establish ourselves firmly on the foundation of your love, stable and steady, knowing that there is no situation we come across in life that can remove us from it. And we pray that, God, that not only would you give us the presence of mind and the leading in the spirit to hold tightly to you in the difficult times, but that you use other believers around us and speak to them and move in them to hold us to it. So that when we get distracted or we get disoriented or we get fearful or we get anxious or we get whatever, there are people right next to us that are saying no. You are a child of God and nothing can separate you from the love of God. And those that he called, he justified. And those that he justified, he will glorify. Use people in our life that way. And God, I pray that you would use us in other people's lives that way too. As an anchor. And that together we would hold fast to the truth that we are your children. And that you love us. And that you are with us. And that you are changing us and transforming us from the inside out. And that one day that transformation will be complete. And we will be with you forever. Father, we love you. And our lives are yours. It's in your name we pray.